What is this? What's going on here? What are you people doing here? What is this? Are you trying to trick me? You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. By the way, ladies and gentlemen, as always, this stuff in lieu of actual entertainment. Alrighty then. Hello and welcome back. This is Storytime and I am Gamer Dude. Glad to have you with us for some more stories this week. Today I've got another best of episode for you. These are stories from Season 1. And these are stories from early episodes in Season 1. As I have talked about previously, the way I've produced the podcast has changed over the years. I like to think I've gotten better. I'll let you be the judge of that. But longtime listeners know that I'm a former radio guy. I did radio for a couple of years. I've talked about that. And I really like the sound quality and the production values to be as good as I can make them. Well, I'll admit, and I've said this before, when I first started doing the podcast, I was learning. I was learning technique. I was learning what sounded good. I was learning how to produce a podcast. It's not just sitting down at a mic and spewing. You want to make it listenable. You want to make it sound good. You want to make it sound like something that people will actually want to listen to. So when I did my early episodes, I did a couple of different things. The first thing that I did, I treated this more like a radio show, like I was live on the air and whatever happened, happened. If I sneezed, if I coughed, if I breathed, you know, those big gaspy intakes you sometimes hear, I just left it in. But as I listened to other podcasts, and even as I listened back to my own, I realized it wasn't the way that I wanted it to sound. Nobody wants to hear you go, nobody wants to hear you stutter. You want a clean product. You want it to sound good. So I've evolved my style over the years. The other thing that happened with those early episodes is I was doing things a different way. I wasn't actually editing all of the files myself. I was letting a computer do it. I'm not going to bore you with the details. But the website that I was using to produce the initial episodes didn't do the cleanest job. I thought that it was acceptable, but listening back, it really wasn't. There was a lot of static. There was a lot of pops. There was a lot of sound that, to my ear, just didn't sound good. So those first few episodes of the podcast, they have some pops and some static and some sounds in there I just don't like. So today's episode, today's stories, are ones that I've pulled from the first few episodes, and I've tried to clean them up as best I can. I love the stories. I love the energy that I had back then. Not that I don't have the same energy now, but I like the way that I told those stories. I'm just kind of sad that they have so much noise interference in them. So as you listen to today's stories, try to ignore the pops, try to ignore the static. I tried to clean them up as best I could, but I wanted to give you these stories in a nicer, more listenable form. Today, I've got stories about driving a car for the first time. I've got stories about my grandfathers. I've got stories about playing outside after school. And I've got a little snippet about music. So if you've heard these stories before, they're going to sound better now. And if you haven't heard them, I hope you enjoy them. Thanks for listening today. This is the best of story time. As a youngster who wanted to get out of the house, seeing the country in my own vehicle was one of the things that was most appealing to me. And I really wanted to learn to drive. And it started for me at an early age because I got to visit my aunt when I was about 11 years old. This would be my mom's sister. And I went up to upstate New York. That's where they lived. They had a 13-acre. It wasn't really a farm. It wasn't really an estate. It was a hunk of woods. And they lived out in the woods. And they were very remote up there. And part of this property was a giant field. 
And they had all kinds of vehicles because in upstate New York, you need all kinds of vehicles for all kinds of weather, whether you're going through the snow or through the open fields or whatever they were doing, they needed a specific vehicle for it. And the vehicle they had for driving through their fields was an old Ford Bronco. This was a beat up old rusty yellow Ford Bronco with a four speed transmission with the gear shift on the steering column, not on the floor. This was an early Ford Bronco that has an indeterminate age because at the age of 11, I have no idea what year it was or how old it was. It was just a cool looking vehicle. And my aunt said that I could drive it. Now, here I am, 11 years old, visiting my aunt. So I'm away from home and, you know, none of the rules apply because it's, it's my aunt's house. So she was trying to make sure I had a good time. And part of the good time was putting me behind the wheel of a Ford Bronco. Oh, my God. I was in my glory. Wait, wait, wait. I get to sit in the driver's seat and put my feet on the gas and actually go? Oh my God, I was in my glory. I was was beside myself. So we drove out. Now, I didn't get to drive from the house out to the field because I had no idea. At 11 years old, I may have been five feet tall. So they probably had to push the seat up as far as it could go. And I... I I don't remember having a difficult time reaching the pedals, but I'm sure that I did. But somehow I did. I reached the pedals. I reached the steering wheel. I had no idea how to use a clutch, so my aunt had to explain that to me, and my cousin was in the back. And um, he was there for moral support. He was a little older than I was, and he was a driver as well because he drove all of the vehicles on 13 acres. You had to get around, whether it was with a a snowmobile or a four-wheeler or whatever it was. So he was aware, and it was his way of encouraging me to be in the back seat as I took my first jaunt in this big open field with this Ford Bronco. So I'm sitting in the driver's seat after I get out and work my way around, and I'm all nervous and all upset, and oh my God, uh, I'm excited and upset and thrilled and nervous, and uh, I was beside myself because I so wanted to do it, I so wanted to do it right, and I so wanted to just drive. It was so cool that I was going to be able to do it. I was so excited. Oh my God. So my aunt told me how to put the clutch in. For those who've never driven a manual, it's something that's a unique experience. It's not like driving an automatic where you just push the gas pedal and go. You actually have to put the clutch down and put the gear shift into first gear. And then as you slowly let up with your left foot, you have to slowly push down with your right foot. So as the gear engages, you start moving the car forward. At 11 years old, this was a master class in coordination, because it was not easy. Couple the fact that it's not an easy maneuver with the fact that I was beside myself with excitement. Suffice it to say, we had a few, shall we say, jerky starts. But we got it going. And I was driving through the field. They had a little trail, and I could drive along the trail in first gear because we hadn't gotten to the shifting part yet. But I was in first gear driving along at the frightening speed of seven miles an hour. But oh my god, I was I was driving. It was so exciting. I was thrilled that I was driving a car at the age of 11. And every day after that, I was bugging my aunt. Can we go out and drive? Can we go out and drive? Come on, can we go out and drive? Just for a little while, can we go out and drive? We only drove a couple more times that week that I was up there. But oh my goodness, I had the bug. The bug had gotten a hold of me and it had burrowed itself into my heart and into my soul. And I wanted to drive. I needed a car. I had to drive. Oh my God, I needed to drive. I was so thrilled at the feeling of being behind the wheel and taking myself somewhere. Even though it was a giant circle on a 13-acre piece of property, it was me doing it. And I was thrilled to death at the prospect. 
Now, in New Jersey at that time, and to this day, you had to be 17 years old before you could get a driver's license. So I drove at the age of 11, and I had the bug at the age of 11, and I so (laughs) wanted to drive. Oh, my God. Age of 12, and I, I wanted to go visit my aunt just to go drive her car. Age of 13, I got to go back and visit her, and I drove a couple more times that summer, but it was only a couple more times. And then I had the period of time from the age of 13 to the age of 16 before I ever got behind the wheel of a car again. I remember my mom's dad. I don't remember a lot about him. He died when I was about three years old. I don't remember exactly why he died. I don't think anybody ever really told me because I was three years old. You didn't tell three-year-olds what was going on. I remember his name, McKinley. They always called him Mac. And I have very vague memories about him because I was so young when he passed. One of the things that I remember is he called me a blunderbuss. Now, I didn't know what that was, but he called me Blunderbuss so much that it stuck in my head that was what Grandpa called me. I was a Blunderbuss. Years later, I came to find out that a Blunderbuss was an old kind of gun, and it was small, loud, and noisy, and that's probably why I got that nickname from my grandfather, because I was small, loud, and noisy. Still loud and noisy, I've outgrown the small, but the Blunderbuss name probably still sticks. I remember sitting in his living room... And he would be lying on the couch. And I remember the couch. It's amazing the little details you remember. It was a maroon couch. And I remember the fabric. It was a a very rough fabric. And I would sit on the couch with him sometimes. And I don't remember his face. And I don't remember his body that much. But I remember his socks. He would stretch out lying on the couch. And he had these white socks on. And I just remember these two gigantic feet with white socks on them. Now, they were gigantic because I was three years old. But that's the memory that I have of my grandfather sitting near him on the couch or on the floor next to the couch and having those great big white feet right next to me as he was watching whatever he was watching on TV. And most of the time it was game shows. I remember game shows being a big thing with my grandfather. Again, I don't remember exactly why it was a thing. And maybe if I was older, I would have asked him, Gramps, why do you like these game shows? I just remember that it was game shows and grandpa on the couch. And that's pretty much all that I remember about him personally. I do know the stories about what he did for a living, at least one of the things that he did. He drove a mule cart for mobile oil, and this was literally a mule cart. It was a cart powered by one mule, and he would drive it wherever they were driving mule carts way back in the day when they delivered oil to remote areas. He would do it by mule cart, and he was one of the, they called them mule skinners, if I remember correctly. And that's what his job was. That was one of his earliest jobs. He worked for Mobile Oil for many years, delivering oil. I also know that he was in the Navy. I only know that because my mother told me that. I obviously didn't know him in the Navy. That was long before I was a a gleam in anybody's eye. But I do remember him being in the Navy and my mother always telling me, your grandfather always said, if you ever go into the service, go into the Navy. They feed their people the best. I assume that's right. I don't know. But that was the that was the word that I had from mom. And that came straight from grandpa. So if I was ever going into the service, it would have been into the Navy. And that's really the extent of my knowledge of my mom's dad. I don't know a lot about him. 
I remember there was a shed in the back of my grandparents' house, and I remember he had a, a shop back there, and I remember the smell of that shop. It was old and vintage and a little oily and a little musty, and it's one of those scents that I can still catch sometimes when I go to old houses and I go into the sheds in their backyard. There was just something about the things that he kept back there, whether it was oil or rags or whatever it was. It just created this scent, and I have this olfactory memory of the shed. And it gets triggered every once in a while. I get that smell and I go, oh yeah, that's grandpa's shed. My dad's dad was different. My mom's dad was more of a blue collar kind of guy. My dad's dad was more of a city guy. I learned years after he died that he was a civil engineer. I never knew that growing up. He died when I was about 10 years old in that area. I don't know exactly when he died. I don't remember that. We didn't make big things of death in my family. I kind of remember the funeral service, but I didn't go to the funeral service, but I remember going to my grandmother's house for my parents to attend. That's the extent I know about the circumstances of his death. We didn't talk about things. We didn't share things. My parents didn't tell me things that we didn't need to know as kids. And as a 10-year-old, I guess I didn't need to know exactly why my grandfather died or when the funeral was or where he was buried. I'm assuming he's buried somewhere. I don't even know that. That's how little information we exchanged in my family. I don't know where my grandparents are buried. It's a weird little thing about my family, and that's one of the things that I carry with me. We kept, we didn't talk about things. I guess that's the best way to put it. We didn't talk about things unless it was, you know, a day-to-day, what do you want for dinner kind of thing. We didn't dig in my family, and that was kind of weird. It's a kind of weird way to grow up. I don't know a lot about my grandfather on my dad's side. We didn't talk about things a lot. I think it's probably a function of the relationship between my dad and his parents as much as anything else. And again, we didn't talk about things, so I don't know exactly why they didn't talk or why they weren't close or why we didn't visit. It was just one of those things that was a fact of my life, and I didn't learn until years later that it was kind of a unique thing, that other families actually talk and visit and hang out and go places together and do things together. It was not something that was what I grew up with. It was a weird way to grow up now that I look back. At the time, it was completely normal. But my dad's dad was a civil engineer, and I learned, again, years after his death, that he actually was kind of bigwig in New York City. He helped design the Whitestone Bridge in New York. I don't know if you've ever heard of the Whitestone Bridge, but it's one of the major crossings in New York City, and he was one of the guys who helped design it. He did a lot of design work in New York City as a civil engineer. I don't know anything else that he designed. I would love to know so that I could go visit. Oh, my grandfather did that. Oh, my grandfather had a hand in that. But again, I don't know. It's kind of weird not to have that knowledge. And it would be nice to have. I do also remember that the thing that my dad's dad would do to entertain us kids was mash us. That's a weird thing to say, isn't it? But that's what he would do. He would pick us up in his arms. He was a big guy. He was like a bear of a man. He was just big and broad. And I remember he could, he could scoop us up with one arm and he'd set us down on his lap. And he would mash us. By that, I mean he would, he would take his fist and he would mash our tummies and our chests and our sides in a very ticklish kind of way. But he called it mashing. And it was something we always look forward to. We'd go running up to him. And I remember this. My brother and sister and me, we'd go running up and say, Grandpa, Grandpa, are you going to mash us? Please mash us. And he would. He'd scoop us up and one by one he'd mash us and tickle us. And we'd be laughing hysterically. And then he'd let us go run off and do our thing. But that was Grandpa's big thing. He would be mashing us. If we were not staying home to watch cartoons, if mom's directive was, go outside and play, which was often the case, 
because she didn't want us running around in the house all day because she knew she'd be stuck with us all night, we would go outside and play. Now, we didn't have a lot of space on my property. We lived on a wooded lot. So there was woods all around and there was not a lot of places you could play on our property, but you could play a lot of hide and seek. But if you wanted to uh, play like kickball or football or baseball or tag or poison ball or all the other games that we came up with, there was one kid in the neighborhood who had a big yard and that's the kid's yard we would gravitate to. And all of the kids knew the routine. We would get sent out of the house. I really do think the moms had some kind of phone conference before the kids got home from school. And they'd say, okay, send the kids out today because I don't want to deal with them. I've up to my ears with this. Send your kids out so they can all go play kickball. Because we would all be outside at the same time. And we'd all be playing kickball or whatever sport there was. Or we'd be playing hide and seek in my woods. Or we'd take our bikes for rides around the neighborhood and race around between the three or four houses where all the kids were about the same age and all the kids played together because the kids, because the moms made their kids play together so the moms could have a little bit of a break before they were stuck with us all night. So we would play the sports in the big yard across the street. Or if it was too cold or too cloudy or too rainy, we'd play inside at one of the friend's houses. That's why I think there was this phone system that I was unaware of at the time, but I'm sure that the moms would say to each other, all right, you take the kids today, I've got them tomorrow. And that's where we would play our board games. We'd set up Monopoly or any of the card games I've already talked about in, in my episode on games. But whatever the game was, we'd wind up in somebody's basement for that afternoon. And we would play until it was time to go home for dinner. If we were outside, it was very easy because one of the parents uh, from each of the houses would holler from the front porch, dinner time, and we'd all go scrambling to our respective homes for dinner because everybody generally had dinner at about the same time, and that was usually about six o'clock. But between the time we got home from school, which was usually about three o'clock to six o'clock, we had to keep ourselves busy. And we were on our own to do this. There wasn't anything scheduled. There weren't play dates. I mean, these days there are play dates, and I know why. But back when I was a kid, you went outside. If someone was around, you played with them. If they weren't around, you played on your own. You played with your brother or your sister or the kids that were there. But there wasn't anything organized. It wasn't like, okay, at, uh, let's see, 4 o'clock, uh, we'll meet for kickball. At 5 o'clock, we'll head over for a game of Monopoly, and then it'll be dinner time. It wasn't like that. You'd have your snack, you'd go outside, and you'd play whatever people wanted to play. If it was kickball, we'd go grab the ball and we'd play kickball. If it was tag, we'd run over to our yard and play in the woods. But it wasn't an organized thing. And that, when I became a parent, was one of the weirdest things, partly because I was a nervous parent. And really, what parent isn't nervous when you have your first kids? It's like, they're going to break. What's going to happen to them? I got to keep an eye on them. That's where you get the term helicopter parent. You're hovering over your kids all of the time. I got better as I got older. But my parents were fearless. They sent us outside and boom. Go, have fun, go play. And I guess that's because that's how it was for them. Because they would go outside and entertain themselves. They had chores to do, they would do their chores. And we had chores too, don't get me wrong, but we did those on the weekend. But after school was generally our time to play with our friends after school. We didn't have organized activities, not like today. We didn't have, okay, judo, and then karate, and then band practice, and then cheerleading, and we've got to squeeze in time for soccer practice, and then it'll be dinner time. It wasn't like that. There was after-school activities, if you were in an after-school sport, or in my case, in band, and there was an after-school practice, you would stay till 4 o'clock, but then it was over, and at 4 o'clock, you'd catch the 4 o'clock bus, and you'd be home by 4.30, and then you'd have an hour and a half to play instead of three hours to play. But again, You'd go out on your own and entertain yourself. 
These days, the kids are overloaded so much with activities that you don't have time to go out and play, not like we did. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, but the reason that I'm telling this story is because it's so different these days, and it's not gotten better. It's just different now. And I understand it, but it's just a very different world. When I was a kid, there was a lot more freedom to go be a kid. As I've said in many other podcast episodes, TV has always been a big thing to me. And TV music, as much as any other kind of music, also played a huge part in my life. And even just a couple of notes from a television show can make a huge impact on you, can evoke a memory, can remind you of things. Like, listen to this. Now, we all know what that is, right? That's NBC. And when you hear that, you know, oh, I'm watching something on NBC, whether it's the intro to the Olympics or the intro to a TV show or whatever it is, you know those three notes mean NBC. Now, what about these notes? I don't have to play any more than that. And I bet most of you already know what song we're talking about. And that's because the music from that television show was an important thing to you. And when you hear those notes, just those notes, you go, oh, yeah. And if you don't know it from those notes, you'll know it from this. Now this is a story all about how my life got flipped, turned upside down. And I'd like to take a minute, just sit right there. I'll tell you how I became the prince of a town called Bel Air. We all know this, but again, that reminds you of a period of your life, that reminds you of something that you did, that reminds you of something you were going through, something that you enjoyed. That's the power of music. That's going to do it for this episode of Storytime. Thanks so much for listening. I really do appreciate you listening to all of the episodes, including this best of episode. Hope you liked it. If you have any suggestions or stories you'd like to hear on future best of episodes, message me on Twitter, whisper me on Twitch. Just let me know. We'll find those stories. We'll put them up in future episodes. Thanks again, guys. Until next time, you take care of yourselves. And I'll see you when I see you.